0: Thank you very much, Mr. Donald. Let me first uh, apologize for my voice. I am getting over a case of laryngitis, so I will do my very best to uh, communicate uh, my message to you today. Uh, Let me thank you, uh, first and foremost, for this uh, wonderful award and for your very gracious uh, support of me and my work. I was sitting here listening to Mr. Lane and to Cardinal Dulles and felt very much like Edward Everett at the um, dedication of the battlefield at Gettysburg. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, having just spoken the Gettysburg Address, and he was to be the main speaker. <laughs> uh, no one quite remembered Edward Everett, and I suspect your classmates will long remember Mr. Lane's address and Cardinal Dulles, and we hope to add in some small way to what uh, their tremendous confidence was. Right? First and foremost, congratulations to the graduates. Congratulations to moms and dads for your guidance, for your love and support of your children. Congratulations to the friends and family who are here today who are the inspiration for, or in many cases, support for, these graduates here today. And also congratulations to Christmas College Provide an atmosphere where these students could seek knowledge, truth, and purpose. Commencement means beginning. We are beginning a great engagement, one between the life of the mind and the life of activity. After today, we'll put all the ideas that you have been wrestling with here at Christopher into action. And the world will be a different place because of it. Hopefully better, I hope this ceremony does not mark an end to your education. I hope you will continue to work, the work of understanding the world and man's place in it, as well as the work of understanding history and your generation's place in it. Christendom Colleges have provided you better than, frankly, countless other universities in the United States a genuine foundation, one based on objective truth. But it will now be up to you to build on that foundation through your continued commitment to your faith, wherever that path may lead you. Joseph Piper famously observed that leisure is the basis of culture. And the Greek word for leisure, remarkably enough, is short, school now, I know in the past four years you do not believe that you have living a life of leisure, as you have crammed for tests and pulled all nighters. But that is exactly what you have had. You've have had school as leisure time, because you will now have to make time for reading. You have to make time for thinking, for reflection, and most of all, for prayer. You'll have to take personal responsibility for the continued nurturing of your mind. The greatest men and women of Western tradition all agree that if you do not set time aside for contemplation, if you simply get caught up in the rat race of hectic life here in America, you will be no use to anyone. While I feel I fall short of taking the proper time to nourish my mind. I attempt to do so. Through spiritual direction. Reading, including spiritual reading, and regular retreats. For most of you, this commencement that you are celebrating then is the beginning of mature adult life, the life of free citizens called to be part of the greatest entry in the history of the world. What a great opportunity. And of course, you are at the same time challenged with the same challenge faced by every generation of Americans prior to you, and that is to leave the country better than where you found it. In this case, I celebrate this commencement because I have the confidence that the intellectual and moral virtues that you've developed here at Christmas have truly prepared you to take up this great cause. I now just use the word fraught with controversy in America today, virtue. The fact that this work can scarcely be spoken in public without inviting sarcastic recriminations from many circles is an excellent measure of the challenge you and we all face in our country today. I was reminded of this in a very personal way several weeks ago, when both activists within and outside of the press distorted an interview that I gave on a recent Supreme Court case. In my remarks on this particular case, I tried to articulate the nature of marriage, the good of marriage. In a few short short sentences, I tried to summarize the considerations of philosophies working in a tradition stretching back to at least Aristotle, the tradition of natural law. The natural law tradition is not a religious tradition in the sense that it was based on divine revelation. Rather, it's a tradition. Philosophical reflection on the nature of human beings, the kind of creatures we are. The natural law represents guideposts which direct us to the pursuits of happiness, for happiness is the end which natural law has in mind for all of us. Yet now, the very act of referring to this tradition, of upholding, or dare say making any defense of the moral consensus of every civilization in human history is often characterized as hate speech. What is truly regrettable is that the situation is the worst in the very place where this discussion was centered for hundreds of years, the university. Where are the cries? Where are the cries from that one time the centers of the pursuit of truth? The tolerance, the diversity when it comes to ideas or when it comes to taking the side of the traditional family this is an especially serious matter for catholics our social teaching holds that the family is the fundamental unit of our society not the individual not the group not the collective no the foundational unit which catholic social teaching is based For many generations, Catholics were viewed with suspicion in America. Now, for Catholics in America, my family included, the breakthrough came with the election to the presidency of John Kennedy. But at what price did we earn this break? President Kennedy promised that his faith would have no effect, would have no effect on his decisions as president. Faith in effect, he was saying that his faith, his decisions, would be unguided by his conscience. Only now, two generations later, all of Americans have faith see how a grave, grave price was paid. For now, our popular father culture discourages religion and moral convictions from being discussed. Our founders feared the establishment of a religion. Over the left wing today, the establishment of moral nihilism. Not surprisingly, our government being of the people is following suit. With this, while much of our culture is removing moral black so too is the government. And with this, I have no dispute. We are a representative democracy. And eventually, the collective conscience of the popular culture is going to be reflected in our laws. My concern is the usurpation of the United States Supreme Court, by the United States Supreme Court, of the people's right through their elected representatives to decide this crucial moral issue. And the resulting dulling of our collective consciousness. And that this vital of who we are and what we're about is being moved from the living rooms of America into the point A lack of focus and clarity about the larger aims of life and about the larger aims of our country's institutions has never helped. This is especially true in the world since September 11, 2000. We cannot afford a good-natured ignorance about our moral, economic, and political tradition. We need to summon the moral strength to create a civilization of peace and justice and of course of love. Now this is where you come in. I believe of all the great gifts God has given to the young, the greatest of these are energy, idealism, and rebelliousness <laughs> at your parents' level. <laughs> as we have seen, these gifts, like all gifts, can be used for good or for evil. And as we've seen over the past three years, they can be used, shall we say, sparingly, by our people. I want to challenge each and every one of to be a rabbit, to be a rebel, to rebel against the popular culture. Your task will not be easy. You must overcome the temptation of silence. The temptation of silence in the face of frequent, hostile common opinion. As Catholic, you must summon the courage of your convictions which must be continually nourished by prayer, mass, and spiritual direction to speak and to live the truth. And before I close and send you off to be talking about the popular culture, <laughs> one obvious reminder in the story, first a reminder, we are all called to love We are all called to love even people who disagree with us and hate us for what we're doing. This is a gift that comes only from God, so please ask me for it. If you're like me, you'll need it. Frequently. At times when I'm challenged by some of my colleagues to exhibit this gift, I recall the words of St. Thomas More to his daughter, Margaret, as he sat rotting in the tower door, awaiting execution based on false charges brought by former colleagues in the government. While visiting him, she was shocked at his equanimity toward his persecutors. And he said to her, quote, I bear no malice or evil Will to any living man. For either the man is good or he is wicked. If he is good and I hate him, then I am. If he is wicked, either he will amend and die good and go to God, or live wickedly and die wicked and go to God. St. Thomas More goes on to talk about the wicked. On the one side, if he amends his life and is saved, he will not fail, if I am saved too, to love me. And then, I shall like manner love him. On the other side, if he will continue to be wicked and be damned, then there is such outrageous, eternal sorrow before him, that I may well think myself a deadly, cruel wretch, if I would not now rather pity his pain than my own, More lived intensely and fully on earth. But he always had his focus on the eternal of his action. One more point in the story. In your rebellion against the culture, in your rebellion against the culture, God does not call on you to be a successful. He calls on you to be faithful. Only to give you a story. Okay. President Donald talked about the debate on partial birth abortion. Back in 1998. we were attempting to override the president's veto. This is the second detail of the partial birth we were two votes short it was the night before the vote, we had been debating the issue all day, it was 8 o'clock at night. The Senate was closing down, we were pretty much done for the day, we were going to go the next morning. But there was something inside that said, you know, I really had what to say. Now no one was in the chamber, except that poor who had to sit and preside, to preside over the Senate. But I felt that I needed to say more, no, even though no one was able to listen. So I went into the cloakroom and I called my wife. She picked up the phone as I heard the children screaming in the background. I said, honey, I, it's late, I know, uh, but I really feel like I need to stay here and finish this debate. Said as she always has, she would support me, of course, in whatever time. So I went back to the floor, and I told the presiding officer, I said, I want to give you a few more minutes. Well, about a hundred minutes later, <laughs> I finished, and we closed up the chamber. I went home, and the next day, he lost. Change one of them. But a week later, I got an email. The email was from a man, a young man, your age, at Michigan State University. And the email read as follows On Thursday night, I was zapping through my television with my girlfriend. We were sitting watching TV. And I came across you standing on the floor of the United States Senate a picture of a baby that you had beside you. And so we decided to listen for a while. And as we listened, you talk about this procedure called partial birth abortion and these children and the impact. I know this my girlfriend, sorry, And I said to her, What's well, wrong? And she said, I'm pregnant. And I have an abortion schedule for tomorrow. I wasn't going to tell you. But I'm not going to have an abortion. There is now a little girl who's four years old who was adopted by two younger parents. To the world, I failed. To the world, I failed. We didn't even the God was with so it will be with you. I was blessed with that young man, you? no. For I may have never known. But what I believed must be is God. Ow. Ow. Five. You are no doubt familiar with President Kennedy's great exhortation. Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. You may not know, that it was actually an echo from a talk given in 1843 at Dartmouth College by great Catholic philosopher, Orestes Bronson. I want to close by getting and all of you. Your parents. Your incredible achievement by reading in full Bronson's words upon which I ask you to reflect on this beginning day quote ask not what your age wants but what it needs not what it will reward but what without which it cannot be saved and that, go and do. And find your reward in the consciousness of having done your duty. And above all, in the reflection that you have been blessed, to suffer somewhat for me. May God bless you, God bless you.